Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Matter of Personal Taste, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. I'm your uh, co-host, uh, Martin Fisher here, and I'm here with my buddy, Andy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back. Uh, it's exciting to be here. Yeah, thank you for not leaving us after one episode. We appreciate that. We're going to get better, we promise. <laughs> it all takes a little bit of time getting used to the whole format and everything. Um, we're glad you liked the first episode enough to want to come hear our opinions on another episode. Um, and today we're going to be talking about The Man Who Was Deaf, which is, um, I'm going to say, one of my favorites from this first season. I was surprised on the set. And I, I did a rewatch of it for in preparation for this. And I was floored by how much I like the style of the episode. Yeah, I, I rewatched it a couple nights ago in preparation for this, too. And what I liked about it was this one, I think even more than an All Through the House, has like a real comic book vibe to it where like, everyone's everyone's face is directly in the camera right yeah yeah there's a really claustrophobic kind of feeling to this episode and yeah it feels directly ripped out of comic book and it, it it's from the like really dark shadows like even more so than certain other episodes because each episode has a different kind of lighting style and this one really enunciates the shadows and the music is really great i was i i really enjoyed revisiting this episode and william sadler's wonderful and we'll get to that soon <laughs> Me too. This was, uh, again, like if anybody heard my backstory for Tales from the Crypt from uh, last episode, um, this was one of my first introductions to Tales from the Crypt and anthology mm -hmm. horror in general because I rented the first season from the library. And I remember watching this episode because the first one I watched was in All Through the House because that was like a slasher plot and that's what appealed to me. But then I just kind of, you know, burned through the other ones. And this one surprised me because it was a little more disturbing than I anticipated and going back to it now I mean obviously it's very comic booky so it's not like the exorcist or anything mm -hmm. but like when I was a kid and they open with that uh inmate being taken to the electric chair and he's like weeping and sobbing and like crying out for people and like telling them to just wait a minute. I was like, <laughs> even as an adult, like I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, this is like actually a little bit upsetting. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's so funny too, because the, the tone of the episode kind of shifts when he becomes like this crazy slasher character. But that first one is so just makes your skin crawl. And then they kind of repeat it at the end, of course, when Sadler ends up getting uh, caught at the end. He, he's, he's doing the same exact thing that guy was doing kind of he's sweating a little bit he's not begging as much but it's 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 there's so much of this episode that's so dark and pretty disturbing and I think a big part of that of course is it deals with you know a touchy subject with you know the death penalty and everything like that so yeah it's one of those things where it, it the tone of this will shift on a dime yeah which is what makes EC comics so fun to read because mm -hmm. it'll it'll go from like a super close-up of someone's face as they're sweating and screaming you know and you're <laughs> like and it's like just the most fun you've ever had and then like you know like there'll there'll be a last panel where like the fate is revealed or that uh just desserts twist mm -hmm. you know presents itself and you're like oh my god like this is actually like really sad and disturbing and that's the thing about uh the show is because it was on hbo they could they could take those to even further extremes than the comic could in the 50s so like you start off again like with this really actually pretty unsettling scene of someone being taken to the electric chair and but it 
like has like this weird almost carnival music playing over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I caught that. Yeah. yeah. The... And... Oh, go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say like the music choice, the 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 way the they work the soundtrack on this is just bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because even in the most disturbing moments, it maintains that playful Tales from the Crypt EC vibe. Right, and I think a big part of that is down to the fact that a lot of the episode we are going through the perspective of Niles Talbot, the William Sallers character, and his we kind of understand like his his view on the world is a little skewed and a little different from the norm, um, and that's why you know a moment that is just so. Um, just kind of gross is somehow seen as like a a kind of carnival-esque like here comes the big show moment instead you know and and that and i think that more so becomes apparent as you get like the other kills he starts to do later on in the episode where they become kind of almost cartoonish Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah like the uh the couple in the hot tub like the guy's eyes are like bugging out and he's like doing the 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 over the top twitching thing and stuff (laughs) yeah it is like a it's almost like watching a looney tunes character get electrocuted like oh big time yeah it's just so over the top but what 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 i think is kind of great about that is the executions in this episode that are seen from both his perspective and others perspectives meaning the the two executions at the beginning at the end that take Mm -hmm. place in the prison where there are other people around those are more realistic and like more disturbing and then the ones that he is the, the ones that only he is witness to like the the gate or the couple in the in the hot tub are like more cartoonish because you're you're seeing it through his unfiltered perspective and this is probably how this dude views what he's doing as like this right. the top cartoon hero moment mm-hmm. and i think um it's a really interesting way of taking inspiration from the comic um this was based on a story in crypt of terror number 17 the series that would eventually become tales from the crypt in the ec comics world and um the the story it's based on kind of has that perspective where the the character, um, he's not called Niles Talbot in the story, but the executioner character, he kind of like dresses up and becomes like his own little superhero because he's just completely off of his rocker at this point. And he's like, you know, oh, I'll take justice in my own hands because, you know, not enough guilty people are being, you know, sent to the electric chair. So I'll do it myself. So he like dresses up in this like big trench coat and does these insane kills. Like he burns a guy to death in the shower um they carry over the one part where he electrocutes a guy through the gate through a gate um and there's this part where he's climbing up an electric tower a, a pole and he cuts like a wire so it can zap the guy down below and he's, down below. he does this all dressed up mm-hmm. it's it's a great little carryover i think from that and here's the thing too is like a little bit different from and all through the house is this one is definitely inspired by more so than straight up adapting because it is a little bit different from the comic and even just the the people he goes after the kills they're all a little different than how they were because i mean in the comic the way they end up catching him is that he's about to kill someone and then a lightning strike happens and like their security guard sees him and jumps him basically whereas this i think they really stick to having the perspective of the killer in the episode yeah and it, it it's two different ways of going about it because like you mm-hmm. said in the comic the way he's dressing up he's almost like a he's almost like the shadow 
you know right. like he's like this like almost yeah yeah pulp, pulp noir like avenger mm -hmm. who just happens to be a psychopath um but what i also found interesting now that we're comparing the comic and the the episode is that in the episode it seems much more clear-cut that these people are guilty yeah in the comic like i think they have like the guy who's in the shower even saying like you know oh i really hope they catch the person that actually killed them or something like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's like a that's a monologue to himself so it's not like he's lying to himself like he's right. it like it's clear that he's actually innocent so in a way the the episode presents him as more of like a punisher type character right whereas the comic is like this guy's just absolutely insane and living out this like fantasy of of being an avenger <laughs> yeah and i think maybe a reason they didn't want to carry that part over is because even that might be a little too much for this kind of story and even for tales from the crypt i guess with this kind of uh, show it might have been a bit much to have him dressed up as like a shadow wannabe and doing these things um and also there just probably isn't enough time to kind of fit in like oh a character who was innocent um at least with the guy in the shower <laughs> right right exactly and the thing about um william sadler that's so great in this episode is he's almost like this like taxi driver-esque <laughs> protagonist you know what i mean oh, whereas, yeah whereas the the comic he's more of like a wannabe superhero yeah this is more of like a he's like more of like a noir protagonist oh yeah definitely um and i'll just say like william sadler is fucking amazing in this episode oh yeah that's the that's the highlight of like all of these shows because mm -hmm. you know you and I have seen many, many seasons of Tales from the Crypt <laughs> yeah. recording this, is that every episode lets the guest star really shine mm -hmm. and, and do their thing and get as goofy and as campy as they want to get. So like the the William Sadler being in here and doing all of his great little monologues to the camera <laughs> about the way that like about how he gets women or the way that like society looks at him. It's just so awesome because he's just like, he's just chewing the scenery you know yeah. oh big time and it's so it's it's so delightful to see because i mean when i usually think of william Sadler, i think a lot of like his smaller roles or like his roles that are more subdued like he had in um the mist or shawshank redemption where you know there are these meaty roles but they are pretty reserved for the most part whereas this just lets him go for it and boy does he my goodness yes and he's He's great in it because he is so, he's, he's really likable. Whereas yeah. in, the, in the comic, the, the protagonist is far less likable. He's right. like, he's almost like Dr. Savannah from like the, from the Shazam comic. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He's got that very like a skull kind of design sticking out of his head basically. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a, he looks like the typical mad scientist, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to have William Sadler play, not a wannabe superhero, but a likable noir protagonist who just happens to be like electrocuting people. <laughs> so awesome. And I think really plays to the strengths of the medium of television as a, like, cause the comic is great. Like, and the comic is as exactly as the comic should be. But like you were saying, the the show, this episode isn't like a one for one adaptation of it. Mm -hmm. It's like inspired by it. And I think it works just as well as the way all from the house and all through the house adapted straight up 
the story. Like, like, there's no weakness in either episode. And I think that shows what's so dynamic about this series as a whole. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we're going to talk about Dig That Cat um, on the next episode. And each episode, you know, these were the three that kind of started the show. They all premiered on the same day. And each highlights, you know, the director's strong suit and everything. But they kind of, they all are like a litmus test for what Tales from the Crypt can be at its best. And it can cover a variety of different kinds of stories, different kinds of tones. Um, and it just, they, they deliver such strong, strong stories. And I mean, that's why I was so blown away watching this. Cause I mean, this was, this is also my first episode that I had ever seen. And I told this in the last episode, um, this was the first episode I'd ever seen on TV of, a, of Tales from the Crypt. And I was kind of not old enough, I think, to appreciate it. And then when I watched it, when I got the the DVD set of the series, I was really blown away by it. And tonally, it fits everything else that goes on in the in the show. You know, it does have moments where it's utterly ridiculous. It does have moments where it gets kind of darkly disturbing. And I think that's what makes these first three episodes such a great. And I mean, the first season in general, such a great showcase of what Tales from the Crypt can do, um, because they all cover a variety of tones and they just do it so expertly. It, each episode is just so expertly crafted. I, I love this first season so much. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's an all-star lineup of creators and talent, both in front of and behind the camera. Because if yeah. you think about it, like these three episodes, and we're going to get to dig that cat on our next episode, mm-hmm. but um, all three of the episodes that premiered on this night were directed by Walter Hill, Robert Zemeckis, and Richard Donner. Right. Like, like my God, man, what a lineup. Yeah. And and if you think about like the context of this, of like being a horror fan in the 90s, like where like, you know, people always reminisce about Blockbuster, but like your real only source of horror was renting movies, you mm-hmm. know, like catching them on HBO or whatever. And then HBO comes along and they say like, and in one night, you're going to get a new horror, basically short film from Walter Hill, Robert Zemeckis, and Richard Donner. I mean, that, like, if you and I had been, like, sentient beings at the time <laughs> that, that premiered, we would have, like, our minds would have been blown by this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. I would have loved to have been there when it first premiered because just... Oh my God, the experience of having like such strong directors doing a show like this, you know, at the time is just so, such a strange concept. And, and the idea that like, at the same time, like, or relatively the same time as this show premiering, Russ Cochran was doing all of his like reprints of the classic EC stories Mm -hmm. is so like, so awesome like i'm so glad that both this show and russ cochran could simultaneously sort of save these stories from obscurity because like if it weren't for this show and it weren't for russ cochran tales from the crypt would be just kind of like something you heard about from like maybe mentioned in interviews with stephen king and george romero and like rl stein right oh you know you could watch creep show and you could be like well these are what they were kind of like Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? like this is a pretty good adap- This is a pretty good, you know, adaptation of what they were like. But in the early '90s, these two different products managed to like save 
what I think is some of the best comic book storytelling ever done in the medium. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's remarkable how much they were able to do at the time um, in the 50s and how much those stories are still so strong now today in the 2020s. I mean, my God, it's it, it speaks to just how 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 much of a landmark EC Comics was with their horror stuff. Yes. And, and what I love about it, too, is that EC Comics premiered in a relatively buttoned down, like, conservative era right depending like, on your view it could have been probably one of the worst eras for comics <laughs> exactly exactly but they they managed to like break through mm -hmm. and in a time where like just just google any 50s superman or batman cover and you'll oh, see yeah. where comics were at the time like they're playing beach ball, you know, and I <laughs> cover or like Superman is wearing an apron and like vacuuming his house, you right. know, and Batman's and, choosing which colored suit he wants to wear for the day. Exactly, exactly. And you can imagine being like 12 years old and like sitting or, you know, standing at the at the magazine rack or at the spinner rack at your local drugstore in the day and seeing like, well, in this episode, you know, Ace the bat, Ace the bat hounds being, being naughty. So Batman, how am I going to deal with this? And then you spin that spinner rack, and then on the other side is like someone being buried alive on the cover right. of Tales from the Crypt. It's no wonder why they were like the most popular comics of the time. And and what I think is so cool about that is that um, when Tales from the Crypt premiered, it was also coming out of a relatively buttoned down, you know, censored era. It, because you know you and i are both huge slasher fans mm -hmm. and if if you watch slasher movies as much as we do they get progressively more neutered throughout the decade of the 80s yeah like you know video nasties became a big thing and people started cracking down on horror so like by the time tales from the crypt premiered you know you were on like friday the 13th part eight but like all the gore was edited out of it right just just think of like you know oh the first friday 13th where the arrow goes through kevin bacon's neck and it's such a great little moment and then think of friday 13th part eight where a guy gets his head boxed off and there's no blood or anything it's just a little dummy head flying through the sky it's that kind of thing exactly and and just like i said google the the um superman and batman comics of the 50s just go ahead and look at where slasher franchises were at the end of the 80s and the early 90s like look at halloween six look at freddy's dead look yeah. at jason goes to hell you know <laughs> look at like texas chainsaw massacre the next generation and if anybody's a fan of any of these i'm not criticizing because i own them all yeah but, let me um, say i'm a fan of all of these but you can tell <laughs> yes yes you can tell that these went from and then you just watch where they started from like mm -hmm. john carpenter's halloween west craven's nightmare on elm street like the first friday the 13th like you mentioned and it's like night and day different like they become almost like they become like cartoonish evil superheroes right yeah later installments so i can imagine as a horror fan like besides freddy's glove coming out and grabbing jason's mask i can imagine a horror fan coming out of like jason goes to hell and being like that was so far from what i wanted you know, <laughs> or like freddy's dead and just being like so disappointed with where the big horror franchises were at the time mm -hmm. and then turning on tales from the crypt and seeing these really dark like ironic sometimes almost cynical horror stories where like the people don't get out in the end and like really bad things happen to people you know and it like actually hits you 
like it the the show came along at the perfect time in the same way the comics came along at the perfect time oh absolutely um i i, I think um well i mean this is the point especially in comics i mean comics were doing fantastic i think in the 80s and we're really pushing the envelope and i think that was such a perfect time for this show to come around for the reprints of tales from the crypt and just all ec comics in general to kind of really start going um because i think that was a period where they could really start to be embraced as you know slasher movies were becoming more and more um censored and pedestrian i feel uh it's just it was it was a perfect storm and i think that's why the show succeeded so much and that's why we ended up getting like seven seasons Exactly. And and people forget just how huge Tales from the Crypt was in the 90s. Oh, it was like, massive. I have a Crypt Keeper action figure still in packaging <laughs> that was sold at like KB Toys. Like not, this wasn't like, you know, McFarlane Toys making like a highly detailed collectible action figure. No, these <laughs> were like action figures sold at Walmart and Toys R Us and KB Toys that kid that were marketed to kids. There was like Tales from the Crypt Keeper, the cartoon. There was Tales oh, yeah. from the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House, which was a game show, you know? <laughs> like, I, I remember in a documentary about Tales from the Crypt, the um, one of the main like creative overseers, I, I, I do not remember the name, I apologize, but one of the people who like oversaw the franchise at the time said that his goal was to make the Crypt Keeper um, Halloween, Halloween's equivalent of Santa Claus. Right, right. And, you know, like, I obviously Tales from the Crypt probably doesn't mean a lot to, you know, a younger generation right now, but I think at the time he succeeded because the Crypt Keeper was everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, the Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which I have seen. Um, they, uh, it's insane to think of like, oh, yeah, this really weird adult um, horror show ended up having a children's show spinoff, which had some fairly decent episodes to it and had the same morality tales going on. And then there was the game show, too. It's, it, it was so massive in the 90s. Um, and you could just look back at everything that they did with it to kind of get that idea. They're like, yeah, this was a phenomenon when it happened. Right, this right. Was, this was the nine. This was the late eighties, early nineties version of like how big The Walking Dead was back in the day. Exactly, and and what what I think, um, what what kind of occurred to me as I was rereading and rewatching these, and you know, just getting them fresh in my head again, was one of the things that I love, or what appeals to me most about horror, is that it's a genre that relies a lot of the time it relies heavily on the sense of community because mm -hmm. that community is often disrupted by whatever, you know, monstrous forces is the antagonist of the piece. Um, right. so, you know, like you, you watch like, again, one of my favorite movies of all time, you watch John Carpenter's Halloween and it's this sleepy little town and Michael Myers is going to come through it like a storm, you know, or Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a group of, you know, friends who are just, you know, enjoying being teenagers. And then all of a sudden there's a supernatural force that makes its way into their lives. Um, community is such a huge part of horror to me mm -hmm. in terms of the storytelling, because I think it's so much more effective when you establish a, when you establish a place that you want to go, like, and what I mean by that is like, people always talk about watching the Lord of the Rings, right? And they're like, right. they're like, it feels like going home. If you can do <laughs> that in a horror story, the, you know, the antagonist 
is going to be so much scarier. And what I think is so great and makes Tales from the Crypt so fun is a character like the Crypt Keeper establishes like a real world sense of community where right. he's, he's your friend that's telling you these weird stories. And it takes people right back to like when they were in like elementary school and used to tell ghost stories like at sleepovers or like they'd tell like urban legends on the playground. Like that's what the Crypt Keeper is. And I think the power still holds in that idea oh absolutely i mean even today i still feel like you'll have people that at least know who the crypt keeper is you'll they'll know of the character and they feel like i've seen that somewhere before i don't know where but i've seen it that's how much of an icon i feel like they made this whole entire franchise this whole brand basically um and that's remarkable for a horror thing because you know it's you get you know your horror slasher icons like jason and freddy but to turn like an anthology icon into this just this big community character that everybody kind of rallies around is major and the only one i can think of since like maybe like sam from trick the treat or pennywise from it you know it's these characters that people latch onto, and there's just something about them usually it's their personality or just the way they handle themselves that just gets people invested and that's what makes these characters become pop icons and that was definitely the case with the crypt keeper exactly exactly and i and i just had this thought occur to me right now but like you would think in an era where everyone is so connected through social media that this would be the perfect time to do Tales from the Crypt again. Because right. like, well, also every like IP now is based on nostalgia. Like every <laughs> yeah. single nostalgic franchise in the history of pop culture entertainment is getting some kind of reboot right, right. now. Well, you know? We are definitely in the age we've, we've moved. We're still in the eighties nostalgia era, but we're also bleeding into the nineties nostalgia era big time. So. Right. And, and I guarantee you if like HBO max did an original tales from the crypt, like streaming series, mm -hmm. yeah. if they brought it back, it would be huge and you could and you know this is obviously going to descend into like the crypt keeper doing tiktok and stuff which is not <laughs> what i'm advocating is like the idea that you could use social media and the internet and just sort of this instant access to information that we have now you could have that crypt keeper brand showing up like on people's phones on their laptops like on their twitter like everywhere right like and it could almost be like re-establishing that sense of community that the Crypt Keeper had for people that, you know, switched on their TVs in the, in the 90s. Right. And I, you know, I think Tales from the Crypt absolutely is due for another iteration. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, just look at like when a major horror franchise is kind of reestablished. I mean, look how big the last two Halloween movies were, right. uh, you know, and that became that was only possible because eventually the series did fade out for a good number of years and you know i mean hell you could say it faded out for 20 years after halloween 3 basically um it never really right. reignited as much but when it came back and it came back strong it was a massive success so i feel like tales from the crypt kind of lends itself to that because nowadays it's it, i think it's easier than ever to pull aside a couple of creatives and get you know one person to direct a, a, a just an anthology story that they've wanted to do either from the comics or you know at this point so many of them have been adapted from ec you know make up your own fucking story that feels in line with what tales from the crypt would be you know maybe and even then you know what helps it even more so than like say if you were to do a twilight zone nowadays you don't need to get jordan peele to pretend to be rod serling you know instead right. 
you have the Crypt Keeper. I know John Kassir or Kassir, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. He's still going. He's still around. He still does the voice very well. And I feel like you could totally just revive the show now. It would be so easy, especially now that they have HBO Max. That's a major place to do it now. You don't have to worry about like, oh, will this be successful on television? doesn't matter. Now people can watch it whenever they want to. Yeah. And I know they were taught there were talks like 10 years ago about doing a revival with I think M. Night Shyamalan, maybe. I forget who was involved specifically. Right. And it never went anywhere because yeah. at the time they were like, oh, it just wouldn't work on TV right now. It's like, okay, cool. Streaming exists now. Exactly. And and you know, in a way, like this is almost like what Quibi tried to tap into. Right. Because like with Tales from the Crypt, you could have 22 minute horror short stories that like people can watch on their phone between their classes right. you know I mean? and and i'm not and i'm not advocating for the quibi model like <laughs> bring it shot. back damn it <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm not like advocating that where it's like shoot it in landscape and portrait like right. no but not that but what i'm saying is like it can appeal to people who are kind of like on the go and just want like a quick horror story you know, it, it could, you know, everyone can download the HBO Max app on their phone or their laptop and watch mm-hmm. it when they're in an airport or, or you know, on their break at work. Right. Like, and what, and I, I like that you brought up the Twilight Zone reboot mm-hmm. um, that they did on CBS, on then CBS All Access. Right. Because what, where I think that, um, I, you know, I, if there's fans of it, I'm not criticizing or anything, but I think where that failed, where the Tales from the Crypt could succeed is that. Tales from the Crypt doesn't have any like one iconic episode where like people are like, oh, Tales from the Crypt. Bam, I remember that episode. You know, like they have like right. vague memories of it, but like with the Twilight Zone, everybody knows William Shatner on the plane. Everybody knows <laughs> Burgess Meredith dropping his glasses. Everybody knows the masks. Everybody knows all of these like iconic episodes. Yeah. And then when you try and like remake them, it's just sort of, it's just, it's remaking things that people have seen a thousand times and they know and love. Whereas mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt is like, I don't think there's going to be anybody screaming that like, oh my God, they, you know, the one where the guy is on a boat with a, with a rat or whatever, like, mm-hmm. oh my God, they messed that one up. Like, right. they, like, and I'm not criticizing Tales from the Crypt, but it just doesn't have that like, it doesn't it doesn't have that kind of reverence where you know twilight zone specifically worked when it came out because of rod serling and because of the spirit of the show and you have to kind of keep in line with that where tales from the crypt is very irreverent it's cynical it doesn't really care (laughs) that's a big part of it is that you know just go for the go all out basically where twilight zone you have to tell like these kind of reserved powerful stories consistently Whereas Tales of the Crypt is just go for it, go crazy. Exactly. Like it's, and and that's a great thing that you brought up too, is that Twilight Zone, regardless, you know, like I I know Richard Donner directed a couple episodes of the Twilight Zone and all that kind of stuff, but like Mm. regardless of who was directing it, it was always Rod Serling's voice, both literally and, you know, narratively. Right. Um, Whereas Tales from the Crypt was all about collaboration. Mm -hmm. Like it was all about bringing in new talent and different types of voices to create this. So that's why I think it's more in line for a reboot than something like the Twilight Zone, which is so just so codified and sacred at this point, as it should be, because it's one of the greatest television shows ever made. But it's like, you know. Also, I mean, let's consider this. Twilight Zone's been rebooted three times now. Exactly, exactly. There's been like one for every decade since the 80s. Maybe we should lean off on that a little bit. 
right right exactly exactly it's like it but but tales from the crypt had you know post bordello of blood like there's not much tales from the crypt i mean i know there was like the straight to dvd movie but that's exactly my point there's not <laughs> in the zeitgeist of tales from the crypt it's been long enough that i think hbo max could absolutely do a revival of it and it would be quite successful right and i mean hey you know what if a little smaller streaming service like shutter is able to do a creep show tv show and do it very well I feel like HBO could manage to do a Tales from the Crypt show again. HBO, just get S. Craig Zoller to do <laughs> and you're golden. You're golden. <laughs> please, please, we want more. Um, yes, and, and, and hire me and and hire me and Martin to work on it too, please. That would be preferable. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, a couple That's things exactly. I do want a couple things I do want to bring up before we bring this episode to a close. Um, obviously we didn't mention this episode it was directed by Walter Hill and I do think you see a lot of his style especially in this and especially with the character William Sadler and I did like that you, you brought up um, you, you brought up that um, he feels like a taxi driver-ish kind of character where he, he has that kind of you know noir protagonist antagonist feeling to him and I mean that's kind of obvious and like you know Walter Hill did the warriors and streets of fire which have those kind of feel that has that grungy feeling to it a lot mm-hmm. so that was just a part of his where you could definitely see like you could see Hill's style in this sh- in this episode for sure right and it was embraced which is why this show is so awesome because you, exactly. like, you get a little mini horror short film from these great directors you know exactly now, um, before we say goodbye and I maybe throw in a little trivia because I did find something interesting about this episode. Um, do you have anything last minute things you want to say about this one? Well, I just want to say that like I think it's rides that line of like disturbing and fun really, really well. And I think this I think this um, and all through the house and then the episode we're gonna cover next, dig that cat. Um, I think it really sets a great template for like the rest of the show to follow. Mm. I mean, to me, they're like the trinity of great, great, great Tales from the Crypt episodes. Absolutely. And they're landmark episodes. Now, okay, I got, now I feel like I'm good enough to throw in a little trivia for you. Sure. Um, The first one I just wanted to mention, I think this this is more just my own observation. Uh, The first guy that gets electrocuted when 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 William Sadler's going all crazy and everything and he's running around murdering people um the guy that gets electrocuted by grabbing the gate mm-hmm. I I didn't fact check this but I'm fairly certain I'm like I think that's the biker from Terminator 2 that gets thrown through the window onto the grill in the bar scene okay I believe awesome. that's him because I recognize because I'm like I recognize that haircut in that face because he's got a very rugged right, right, face. Right. And like, that's a character actor right there. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Now the, the, the certified trivia that I did find is that um, originally William Sadler was not auditioning for this role. He wasn't auditioning to be the lead. He was auditioning to be the detective that catches uh, Talbot at the end, which is such a small, like okay. minute long role. But he asked right. while he was auditioning for that, he asked them like, could I please audition for this too? And they were like, sure, go for it. And he knocked it out of the park and they hired him for it, which is great. But you want to know who else was in the running for the main character? Laid on me. They were interested in getting Christopher Walken or John Malkovich. Oh, that would, 
I want to see those alternate versions. I mean, right. it's so awesome in this. I wouldn't trade him for anything, but I right. want to see those alternate versions. Right, exactly. It's it, I, I wouldn't want to give up William Zeller's amazing performance. And obviously his performance is so great. That's why they went with him over two fucking stars like walking at Malkovich. But I would love to see those versions too. <laughs> that is awesome. That is just even imagining that what the alternate versions of this could be is right really them as, them as this kind of character would be great <laughs> yes yes exactly and hey you know we could we could still do if, if hbo max reboots <laughs> and they re, re, readapt this they could right. for them still so yeah christopher walken and malkovich are both kind of up there they kind of look like the version of the character in the comic now would we could do it we could totally do it <laughs> oh yeah and 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 they could market this one as being more faithful to the comic right exactly which is how they do which is how they market every reboot in pop culture <laughs> that's right it's it, 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 it's more faithful but right. uh <laughs> anyway, like yeah no it's uh that is that is awesome and that just goes to show like how how much how many resources and how much talent they were working with on this show oh definitely and um as we talk more uh, about future episodes you'll definitely see a lot of big stars pop up on this show i'm just excited for when we talk about christopher reeve but you know that's down the line so yes it's gonna be fun but uh but we we will be back everybody so thank you for uh listening to this episode and uh next episode we're gonna cap off the trinity of premiere episodes of this series so that's right. Um, hope you guys all enjoyed listening to us prattle on about the man who was death. And next time we're going to talk about Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, which another one of my all-time favorites from this show. So I'm very excited to talk about that when we get to it. So until then, you all take care now and um, watch more Tales from the Crypt. And please send HBO Max like a letter or an email now, I guess nowadays. Just send them an email requesting a reboot because we need it. Yes, and put our names on that request, please. Because yes, please. <laughs> Yeah, please. Oh, and also release a Blu-ray copy of, of, of the show, please. We would really, I would really appreciate that. I just want to see it in HD, goddammit. <laughs> yes, exactly. And put it on HBO Max. And put it on HBO Max. That's the easiest one. Yeah, now that we're past all of that, <laughs> now that we're past all of our requests for this second episode, uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Catch you next time, everybody. Take care. <laughs>